0: Some writers and directors really don't like improvisation. And you know what? Fair enough. Other times, improv actually improves the scene overall. With that in mind, I'm Sean Ferrick for Trek Culture and here are 10 Star Trek moments you never knew were improvised. Number 10. The Vulcan Neck Pinch. The Enemy Within. The original script written by Richard Matheson directed that Spock KO'd the evil Kirk, which effectively meant that the Vulcan had to punch the man so hard he fell unconscious. While Vulcan's strength had clearly been depicted, and Spock would have been well capable of doing so, Leonard Nimoy objected to the scene. He felt that a Vulcan of such restraint and calibre would find a more dignified way to incapacitate Kirk. He devised the neck pinch and worked with William Shatner to perfect it before they brought it to director Leo Penn. All agreed that it was a better fit for the episode, and another Vulcan tradition was born at that moment. Since this moment, the neck pinch has a appeared many times in Star Trek, performed by several different characters. Data performs it on Commander Sela, and Picard performs it on a space pirate, one who happens to be played by future Tuvok actor Tim Russ. It is now almost as iconic as the Vulcan salute itself, which has its own creation ode to a certain Mr. Nimoy as well. Number 9. Chell's Here Too, Learning Curve when considering improvised moments in Star Trek, there are those that are decided upon behind the scenes as well. These may be script editions at the 11th hour, or simply visual cues and clues to support the scene. One such moment appeared in the final episode of Star Trek Voyager's first season, Learning Curve. Here Tuvok is tasked with helping several of the former Maki crew adapt to life on board the starship. There is a scene in which the camera is focused on three of the Maki. Director David Livingston chose to focus on them, omitting crewman Chell from the shot. Then Chell would step into the foreground with the audio audience, never having known he was there. This was done to give the moment a slightly deceptive and menacing feel, with Chell suddenly dominating the shot. It was an excellent, subtle addition that let Livingston throw the audience slightly off-balance, without giving anything away in the episode. Chell would of course go on to be mentioned many more times throughout Voyager, including that time he wanted to replace Neelix in the mess hall. 8. Across the Bay in Alameda. Star Trek IV The Voyage Home In Star Trek IV The Voyage Home, the franchise headed toward comedy after the heavier preceding films. The motion picture, The Wrath of Khan and The Search for Spock all dealt with such serious topics that there was little to no room for humour, so The Voyage Home opted to include as much of it as possible. There were plenty of jokes written into the script, though this moment stands out in the film totally improvised as it was. Layla Saracalo had been more or less stuck when the production of the film shut down the street on which she was parked. She worked up the courage to approach the filmmakers and asked for a part in the film. They decided to let her appear, though they told her not to answer Chekhov and Uhura's questions. Both officers are looking for nuclear vessels in Alameda, stopping several people on the street, including one completely unamused cop, in an attempt to track them down. Saracalo not only answered their question, but came up with a witty response on the spot. Oh, I don't know if I know the answer to that. I think it's across the bay. In Alameda, the line went down a storm and it was decided to leave it in the film. This resulted in Sarah Kahlo being inducted into the Screen Actors Guild and it was only in viewing the film that she realised the scene hadn't been cut. Number 7. Keep What You Leave Behind what you leave behind is the finale of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, which sees many characters killed off in spectacular, and some less so, fashion. One of these unlucky few is Legate Damar, the leader of the Cardassian resistance against the Dominion. For several months he has been plotting to overthrow the Dominion government led by Weyoun and the female changeling, culminating on the attack on HQ. The original script had Damar gunned down by the Jem'Hadar, dying without any last words. Casey Biggs was very upset as he read this, as he felt Damar De deserved to get at least something to mark his passing. Other than the reactions of those around him. He approached director Alan Croker and begged him to let him include something Croker agreed. In the final scene, the doors to HQ open and the Jem'Hadar emerge, executing Legat Broca, the puppet leader of Cardassia. Damar stands and attacks, taking several disruptor blasts in the chest. As he collapses, he looks up at Garrick and Kira, trying to speak. He manages the word, keep, before he dies. It's enough to inspire the troops to press on, allowing Kira and Garrick to make it all the way to the command centre. Number 6. Thrusters on full, Star Trek 2009. Leonard Nimoy's final line in the 2009 J.J. Abrams Star Trek film was improvised. He says, thrusters on full, as he watches Kirk receive a promotion to captain with pride. There are a few interesting notes in this scene. First, this is perhaps the fastest progression through the ranks in Starfleet's history. Second, there were a few factors that allowed Nimoy to improvise this scene. It goes without saying that Leonard Nimoy was the world's authority on Spock, so the producers were more than happy to allow him some leeway when it came to depiction and delivery. The film was also being produced during the 2007 writers' strike. This meant Meant that, although Alex Kurtzman and Roberto Orkey were writers on the film, they were allowed to remain on set as they were also executive producers. This allowed them to covertly work with Nimoy on his final sequence, giving him the nod that it was okay. There was a loss due to this writer's strike as well. Nichelle Nichols stated that she had talks with the producers about appearing in the film as Zoe Saldana's grandmother, but the strike meant that the scene couldn't be written and included. Number 5 Old Friends Hug The Impossible Box Jonathan Del Arco, who played Hugh, revealed on his Twitter page that the hug between Jean-Luc Picard and Hugh was not in the original script. It was devised by Patrick Stewart and himself just prior to filming, adding an emotional beat to the scene that had just been lacking, and that it needed that extra piece. Picard's arrival on the artifact, the Borg Cube that the Romulan Reclamation Project has made their home, spurs a series of disturbing flashbacks. Naturally, he sees images of Lacutus of Borg, the drone he was forced to become in the best of both worlds. He also sees horrific images from Star Trek First Contact as well. This causes him to become disorientated and frightened. It's a heartbreaking scene, showing the changes that the man has gone through in the 20 years between Nemesis and Picard. Whereas in First Contact he was full of rage at the prospect of facing the Borg, he now has little energy left to deal with them. Hugh's arrival then saves him, not just from his nightmares, but from some of his latent fears of the collective as well. This is summed up beautifully in The Hug, showing that both actors knew exactly what the scene needed to make it just right. Number 4. Stand-Up Comedy – The Outrageous O'Connor According to comedian Joe Piscopo, he was allowed to improvise almost all of the material he came up with for Data to imitate on the holodeck. This was easily a case of just letting the expert get on with what they were best at, which in turn led to a stronger episode because of it. The Outrageous O'Connor is a second season episode of The Next Generation, featuring William O'Campbell as O'Connor and an uncredited appearance by Terry Hatcher as the transporter operative. The B-plot of the episode features Data's ongoing attempts at becoming more human, including his research into comedy. The initial pitch was for the producers to approach Jerry Lewis to a appear in the episode, though scheduling commitments prevented this. They then turned to Piscopo, who included an impression of Lewis in his set. He later recalled that he had a fantastic time while filming. He was approached by his agent and sold on the fact that Whoopi Goldberg would also be in the episode. He relished the opportunity to work with her, We he also sang the praises of Brent Spiner as well. As he said himself, on Star Trek, "They let me have fun. We just had fun. Number 3. Nog's Ferengi Dance. You are cordially invited. In the sixth season episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Dax and Worf are finally getting married. This means one thing, parties on both sides of the aisle. While Worf's wedding party suffers through days of starvation and pain, Dax's guests get a bit of a better deal. She hosts a wild gig in her quarters, one that is sanctioned by the station's first officer, who just happens to be Major Kira. There are drinks, there are fire dancers, and there's even a bust-up when Martok's wife, the Lady Sorella, attends uninvited. She demands that Dax accompany her to the next stage of her wedding preparation, which results in the bride-to-be arguing that it's her night off. One thing leads to another, Sorella pulls out a knife and Dax punches her straight in the face. The wedding guests are shaken by this, so Jadzia orders the band to play something. Director David Livingston then informed Aaron Eisenberg to dance as goofy as he possibly could. Eisenberg rose to the challenge with his Ferengi shuffle, completely improvising the movements on the spot. Terry Farrell joined in, which was also not the script. Eisenberg would later recall that in the six seasons of Deep Space Nine to that point, it was the only time something he improvised was allowed to remain in the final cut. Number 2. He's not really dead. Star Trek 2 The Wrath of Khan. Starter 2 The Wrath of Khan ends with one of the most tragic scenes in the entire franchise, namely, the sacrifice of Captain Spock to save the Enterprise from destruction. With the mains offline, he goes to engineering, exposes himself to radiation while repairing the warp drive, and allows the ship time to escape the Genesis wave at the cost of his own life. After one of the most heart-wrenching goodbyes and funeral scenes, Admiral Kirk, Dr. McCoy and Dr. Marcus all gather on the bridge, watching the sunrise on the new Genesis planet. Dr. McCoy says the line, he's not really dead, not as long as as we remember him. This was not in the original script. Director Nicholas Meyer improvised this line during filming. He had recently read an article by Simon Wiesenthal, the famous Nazi hunter, regarding Raoul Wallenberg. Concerning the possibility of Wallenberg being alive, Wiesenthal wrote the above line, prompting Meyer to include it in the script. Wallenberg himself would be honoured almost 40 years later in Star Trek Picard. The ships that are seen in orbit of Mars are called Wallenberg Plus escort vessels in honour of the man who saved thousands of Jews in German-occupied Hungary during the Second World War. Number one, Vulcan salute a mock time. The physical Vulcan salute was devised by Leonard Nimoy during the making of the episode Amok Time. He was originally scripted to walk up to Tipau and greet her normally, without any ornamentation. However, he cited the fact that so many different cultures had their own gestures when greeting someone that he felt he could introduce something here. The sign, made by the hand, stems from Nimoy's Jewish childhood. It forms the letter Shin, which represents the honorific title Shaddai, translating to Almighty God. It is generally performed on both hands by Kohanim, who are Jews of priestly descent on holy days. The ceremony that features this is generally not to be viewed, with the congregation asked to close their eyes. Nimoy remembered sneaking a look at seeing it, with it staying in his memory forevermore. He then suggested using this to director Joseph Pevney. This presented a small issue, as actress Celia Lovsky, who played T'Pau, was unable to perform this gesture. This was fixed by simply having her use her other hand to position her fingers while off camera. Nimoy credited writer Theodore Sturgeon as coming up with the lines "Live long and prosper." Planning for your next trip.